There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hello, everybody. I'm Bill Roden, and you're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm coming to you from the ESPN studio in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I'm on the line with my co-host, Tiffany Hoyd from Howard University. Hi, guys. I wish I was in Las Vegas. We had a great time there against UNLV. I had a nice time on the strip. I wasn't quite 21 yet, but I found my way to some fun. Uh, I'm here in D.C. instead. I'm also on the line with Tucker Tool from Morehouse College. What's good, guys? Um, I'm happy to be in Atlanta. Yeah, well, I'm glad you love Atlanta. I mean, I like it, but it's kind of steamy. Uh, however, I appreciate Atlanta because it's one of the cities that helps support evacuees from Hurricane Florence. It's been nearly two weeks since that storm ravaged the Carolinas, left at least 43 dead and millions of dollars in damages. On today's show, we're going to revisit how various HBCUs were impacted by Florence. And later, we're going to catch up with comedian Seton Smith a Howard alum, and hear his thoughts on Serena Williams, Bill Cosby, and what it's like to be a TV uh, comedian. And we're going to end on women's basketball. Uh, The WNBA championship is in the books, and women's college basketball is just getting started. We're going to check in with a women's basketball coach at Howard and women's basketball players at Clark Atlanta about their teams and their coaching trajectories. Uh, but before we dive in, I have a HBCU experience question for the fellows. Uh, Tucker, you're a junior at Morehouse. Tiffany, you're a senior at Howard. I uh, wonder if you guys remember the first thing you learned about blackness, what it means to be black and proud at your schools. Yeah, I definitely remember the first experience. I was in our uh, cafeteria, the annex, the lower cafeteria. That's the lit one. We all know that. Um I was in Annex my freshman year, and I'm like talking to my friends, but I'm looking around. And when you when you hear about black people in high school before you get out of California or the West Coast, and you really see that black experience, you think that black people are like one or two things. But I'm looking around, and I'm like seeing a whole high school musical class within the black community. So I thought it was so interesting to see all the nuances of black people. Yeah, and I I can I can completely agree. Um... Well, I, I remember when I first learned about blackness in itself coming to Morehouse, um, and I was in the, the program, you know, going into my freshman year, and I just remember seeing all the many different backgrounds that all these different, uh, that these young black men had come from. Um, you know, Morehouse being the only all-male black institution, um, I wasn't aware that, you know, I would see all these different men with, you know, different backgrounds and um, coming from different places, you know, and even some people coming from different countries. And they would talk to us about our blackness and our history and um, just the history of the school and the multiple alums and what they've done. Um, so, I, you know, coming coming to Morehouse, I, I've learned a lot about um, blackness and being black and proud. Yeah, well, I would, Morgan, like almost 50 years from now, uh, this almost is an anniversary of my uh Wow, that's a long time, 50th anniversary of Morgan. And, you know, my, my experience was a little different. I grew up in the south side of Chicago, all black, went to all black high school. Uh, and when I went to, got to Morgan, you know, I kind of knew about black. My biggest surprise was seeing the one white guy on the team, Joe Alex. Joe Alex, I said, how'd you get here? <laughs> so that, 
As residents of North and South Carolina are working to recover from Hurricane Florence, we're going to take a look back at how the storm impacted HBCUs. The Undefeated reported that several schools were affected, North Carolina Central, North Carolina A&T, and Winston-Salem State in North Carolina, and Hampton University in Virginia closed because of the Category 4 storm. Other schools, however, like South Carolina State University and Claflin University in South Carolina remained open for students who stayed on campus. Even still, several sporting events, including the ones that were slated to be broadcast on ESPN, were canceled or postponed. Roden fellow Zach Bragg at Hampton University joined us to share with us what the evacuation process was like. Welcome to the show, Zach. Hello, guys. How you doing? Where are you? Where are you, man? Are you like hanging like you're on a boat or a ship or what? You know. Uh, you know, you know. I told you guys I wanted to storm chase, but when they said it was going to reach maybe Category Five or Four, uh, I just decided to come home. I'm in New Jersey right now. You had a duck and roll, huh? You got out right, right, right on time. So, were you were you evacuated from Hampton? Or did you take? I know Hampton is right on the water. Did they? How, how did you get? Did you? Did they ship you out? Did you swim? I mean, what What was the process I, I like? Process was, our process was kind of weird. Um, well, if if you guys don't know, for anybody listening, the audience, Hampton also has uh, one of the few colleges with their own NASA satellite uh, in space. So Dr. Harvey and the admin, they also used that information to decide when they were going to uh, evacuate us. But it wasn't really something that they shipped us out. It was more like the student body forced it upon the admin, the the governor. You know, he had he had made a state of emergency and he wanted everybody in the Hampton Road 757 area to evacuate. But the admin uh, administration and Hampton, they weren't on the same page. They were with the evacuating on Thursday and the governor was wanted everybody evacuated by Tuesday. So basically it was, it was more kind of a, a student, a student for student force out, I guess you would say more people just stopped showing up like just. I guess from social media, I guess they got word, but more people just made it seem like, oh, they're not going. And when they got word and people stopped showing up to class, Hampton caught wind, admin caught wind, and then they changed it to, okay, um, class is closed Tuesday. But at first, it wasn't really something that they were thinking about doing until possibly Thursday. Why not? I mean, why? Because I guess from watching the news and their news sources and I guess maybe the satellite um, the news was saying we weren't going to get hit until around Thursday, uh, Thursday morning, uh, Wednesday night or a.m., I guess, like 3 a.m., Thursday morning, like 9. So they, Hampton uh, administration, wanted to, you know, ride it out until Thursday when they knew we would get hit and then they would have everybody leave by Thursday. But it, it's kind of weird because the governor already came out and ordered immediate evacuation um, on Tuesday, on actually Monday night, Tuesday, and Hampton was on something opposite. So yeah, they 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 uh, the students kind of forced their own evacuation, but the evacuation process Hampton went with. Um, they sent out information on Tuesday about classes closing on Thursday, and um, they had it to where um, people that stayed or 
if you lived on campus, you would evacuate to a uh, Holland Hall um, and you would go to the gym. Now, actually, people were complaining about that, but if you look from the pictures and everything that's circling around uh, social media, it, they have a great setup in there. Uh, catering style food. They got movie screens in there. Uh, 50, two 50 inch plus TVs with PS4s. Um, the Hamptons own DJ vents playing music. Now, granted, twin beds, but it's a nice setup. Sound like they had a whole committee for so this. So students, yeah. So students are staying in the gym. Yeah, well, students are staying in the gym. They boarded up the gym and the windows. But, I mean, they, they took out twin bed, the twin bed mattresses and placed them all throughout the gym. But it wasn't really, like, a lot of students left. Like, a lot of students left. But it wasn't something that, like, the admin had planned. It was kind of something we forced upon them. But now it's kind of it's kind of weird because now the... The news is saying it's it's uh, demoted from Category 4 to around Category 2. So it's kind of a weird thing. Yeah, it's not uh, tremendously wet, huh? Like our president said not too long ago. So what, what was it like? I mean, so when you say you forced, what, what you forced uh, the president, the administration's hand, like what? There were boycotts or marches or? You know, social media could be, uh, in this day and age, social media is a... Uh, a great tool to get the word out and from, you know, just word um, and, you know, all the news that's circling around social media, it's just more like students were just saying, I'm not taking this risk. Students just wouldn't show up. And then you had some faculty who were on board with the students who would just send out emails and saying, I'm not going to wait on administration to officially close. I'm canceling this class because I don't want to be here but it was it was like Tuesday. Nobody really showed up. Like nobody showed up to class. Nothing really happened. So it was like I guess from when they collected data, it was more like okay, you guys aren't here. So here we go. We'll just close it from today. So are students making their way back to their dorms because the the storm was demoted to like a category two now? Or are they still just chilling in the gym? From what I see on social media, students are definitely just chilling in the gym because um, although it is a Category 2 that can knock, still knock some power out, um, you know, still not safe. So, and Hampton is surrounded by water on uh, all four sides, and it's really only one way in Hampton and one way out, and majority of the students that live on campus are freshmen, and all the freshman dorms are literally like 15 feet away from the water, so is Dr. Harvey's house. So most people that did stay, and that decide to go to the gym or just in the gym. Knowing that majority of, you know, Hampton is surrounded by bodies of water, does Hampton or has Hampton had, you know, a, a evacuation plan in place for hurricanes in the past? Or, or is this something that's, you know, new for them? It's definitely not new because every year, we get threatened with this, um, with all the water. We definitely get threatened with the hurricane season and we get threats of major thunderstorm. So it's definitely something that's not new. Um, I guess the administration, they're more, they rely more on the data that they collect because they also, the, with the NASA satellite that they have, they can also get their own data. And, um, in the past with like thunderstorms, it's just been, no classes have been canceled. Just, you know, take your own risks. Like, go to the cafe at your own risk. Leave at your own risk. But, I mean, in the past, I've heard from social media that they said 
a few years back, um, the school didn't take um, Hurricane Isabel serious, and they were stuck in Holland Hall Gym for five days, no food or no water. Oh, wow. I don't want to make it seem like Hampton administration doesn't do much because from what they, from what I've seen, they did a great job putting effort together. Um, great job helping uh, cater to the needs of students once they found out and once they decided, okay, listen, we had to go full plan, full blown into this evacuation plan. It's really, it's really nice what they did in Holland Hall, but you know, they, they have plans, but normally when we get these threats every year, nothing really happens. We can probably get a day or so, but it's nothing really. It's good to see that progress, though, because I know that even at Howard, my freshman year, they had a snowstorm, and Howard and D.C., they were not prepared for it. So, like, there wasn't salt down anywhere, and so, like, we literally had to cancel classes for, like, a week almost. And the next time they said a snowstorm was coming in, immediately salt went down. So it's good to see that there's some progress in, like, understanding, like, you want to prepare yourself for the worst so that if you do get the worst... You have PS4s available. Yeah, definitely. Definitely because at first people was holding a grudge against administration because they were just trying to hold things off until Thursday. But when they kicked everything in, uh, the plan and kicked the plan in on Tuesday, you definitely can see that they definitely, uh, show that they care about students. Um, they definitely put in effort to make sure students are safe, to pro- provide students with, uh, you know, the necessary stuff to, you know, just write it out. Cause, you know, all students aren't you know, able to go home. Like, granted, I would say about, uh, I would say about 85% of students went home, but you know, you still got those students from California. You still got those students from the island, especially like athletes. Um, you got students from all across the world who just can't afford to go home. So I would definitely say that they, they definitely did a good job and put in good amount of effort. Well, you know, Zach, I'm so happy that you, uh, you hung in there. Uh, albeit from New Jersey, <laughs> is it, is it, is it, is it, I mean, is it rain? Is there any like a drop of water falling yet? Back in uh, well, from 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 what I've seen from you know friends that have apartments in Hampton or friends that did stay, it look it looks great. Like it looks amazing. It's sunny. It's eighty five. It's ninety. Actually, I'm in New Jersey, and the weather here in New Jersey looks more like their uh, hurricane is coming then from what I've seen on social media with Hampton. So I don't know. Like, I think it's just something that Hampton is used to. Although um, there is the, the one problem with Hampton, the city and the 757 area is really only one way in and one way out of that city. So it like when those tunnels or those bridges get, you know, clogged up with people trying to evacuate quickly, it's like, we can be there for hours or if that thing or if the the rivers or anything overflow you definitely know like that bridge is scary with that water so close to the road well we're glad we're glad you made it Zach. i'm lucky i got friends that um wanted to make the trip home so i, I had two options to get home i decided to come i didn't want to because you know me i wanted to storm chase but i mean <laughs> I, I was scared i was scared of the threat of the power going out in my apartment. He just wanted to be able to use his phone. That was it. That was it. <laughs> I wasn't going to be able to use my phone, watch TV. No power means no refrigerator, no food. So, Well, the vacation is over, Zach. You head back to Hampton. Uh, nah, this fall break. <laughs> Have you guys seen hurricanes before? 
at all. I have. Like, that was my first time. And I remember I was kind of scared on Wednesday night because, like, I'm walking it through the yard and I'm looking up and the, the clouds are pink and the sky is indigo. And I had never seen nothing like that. But early in the day, like, it was, like, dark. Like, you know, you know how it looks like before it's about to rain. But I had already heard, like, oh, it's it's going to be tremendously wet and it's going to be a big hurricane. And I had never seen anything like it. So I was I already got scared with you guys' lightning because that's like our earthquakes. That rumble is different out here. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a hurricane oh, yeah. before. I'm part of my family lives in Indiana, so you know they're in the the tornado hurricane alley. I've seen a hurricane when I was little, and I've seen um, I've seen like the way it knocks down trees. One time, it knocked down a tree and hit a few of my cousins. But there also was you know video circling around on Facebook and Twitter of um pictures uh pictures and videos of like the tunnel, like the base of the hurricane already near the uh city of hampton it was kind of kind of crazy like it was way too close so yeah it was definitely a good way to get out but hurricanes seeing them in person is something that's extremely crazy yeah i've 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 never seen one in person but i have um i lived in houston for a few years and i've i've witnessed some pretty bad um tropical storms and i saw what hurricane harvey did to the city and that was that was pretty scary in itself well, anyway, Zach, glad you're back. Head on back to uh, to Hampton. Yeah, around around Monday. Yeah, well, whatever. We'll catch up with you then. Yeah, I'm taking. I'm yeah, taking this lucky. This fall some break. days off. Hey, listen, so, so see, thanks again. We're gonna take a quick break. So stay tuned. Kevin Hart, Miss Pat, Tracy Morgan, Tiffany Haddish. Now, whether you're LOLing or side-eyeing in them, the current crop of black comedians in TV and film help us to understand the social and political context in which we live. But how do you even get there? How do you get to first base? Well, here to give us some insight on that is comedian and actor, Seton Smith, who's in our New York studio. Now, you may have seen Seton on Conan, HBO's Girls, or Inside Schumer. He's here in studio to share his comedy and his journey with us. Hey, Seton, welcome to the show. How you doing there, Bill? All good. It's all good. good. Um, you, you know, of course, you're on the line with uh, uh, Roden Fellows, uh, Tucker and, uh, and uh, Tiffany. Hey, uh, let me ask TNT, you something. Up, you went to Howard. Right. Yep. Yes, sir. You went. To, you got your degree from Howard. Yes, sir. Uh, and I was just joking. I went to Morgan, so of course we had this complex about Howard. But welcome to the show, anyway. No, oh, thank you. I'm glad you got over that. Uh, to, to, to introduce me to the room, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting over it. Mm, okay. uh, <laughs> getting over it. Well, hey, it's a journey, sir. <laughs> what made you? Uh, what made you apply to Howard? And um, how did how did going there help you get to where you are now? Uh, I think at the time it was like 1999. And I just had a complex about my blackness. And so it was really between NYU and, and Howard. And I, I thought, like, I kind of want to see if I can get a little blacker. Because I always wanted to be on TV. But I, I was always told back then that I actually talked too white. So I was like, let me go to Howard and like, learn how to talk black. And then I realized that black people don't talk like one thing. But nobody knew that in the 90s. They know that now. 
Um, other than that, uh, how it helped my career. I, I met some of the coolest, artsiest black people there. So I think like a lot of the people that are taking over TV now, their mind states were in film back when I was in school. Like they were all at back then thinking we could be different. We could be nerdier. We could be, we could, we could make funny in a different way. So it's cool. Like Donald Glover now is kind of like the tip of the iceberg, I think. And you know, Jordan mm. Peele and all them. So I went to film. Well, with Howard. Said, I mean, I went to Howard to film, by the way. So that's my thing. Oh, okay. But you you grew up where? I mean, you you said that you wanted to get blacker. I don't know if you were being facetious, but what do you mean? Did you you grew up like in an all white environment with all white schools? I mean, what you know? Oh yeah, well, that's that's more complicated. I, uh, I think I was just crazy back then. I didn't really have a, like a lot of self confidence because uh, my mother she's a black hippie, and so uh, she moved every couple years, and just because she didn't want to like die and regret not being somewhere so or doing something <laughs> so i i grew up like i grew up in like five different i had like seven different schools before i was 10 years old so i really didn't know so i was in california and i was missouri then i was in new jersey uh back to california wow. a couple times so i really so like i went to all three coasts and i so i really never got a sense of like what black was or what i was and so i just was just insecure so i just thought i'd go somewhere to get more secure you know I think that's what I mean. But, like, back then, there was a time in, like, the mid-'90s where, like, there was a war between lower-class and upper-class black people. Uh, and so, like, that was coming out in a bunch of different ways. And uh, I was caught up mm. in the middle of it, obsessed with, like, well, I need to get blacker and get some other blackness. And then I realized, like, uh, uh, <laughs> it's just silly. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's silly. I don't know what people think now, but for me, it's just silly. What do you guys think about about that? Well, first off, let me say that uh, you made the right choice in choosing Howard University, the <laughs> most illustrious university. <laughs> Thank you. We, we love our HBCUs, but we we all know what it is. I'm just playing. But um, yeah, coming from California, that was a big adjustment for me. I think that like I had a similar experience where I just wanted to gain opportunity, but also get a better sense of my identity because like I went to all white schools, and so you have like. You have your identity from, like, your family and then from, like, you know, what you see on TV. But, like, you don't have a true sense of understanding blackness and finding out that there are so many nuances to it. Like, what you joked and said that, like, oh, I just seem that it sounds dumb to be like, oh, black people have one way of talking. Where black people have several different ways of talking. And it really depends on what part of the country they're from. Absolutely. Or even if they're from another country at all. Yeah. Absolutely. Like Southern rap and, didn't uh, get hit mainstream until 1997. I mean, that <laughs> tells you we only thought black people talk one way. So anyways, go ahead, sir. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Tucker. No, um, no, I completely agree. And piggybacking off of both of you guys, um, I know for sure that was one of the things that I realized when I came to Morehouse, you know, being the only all-black male school in the country, you know, everybody comes from a different place and everybody has a, a different background. So that was definitely one thing that I could attest to, you know, you saying you went to Howard because, you know, you wanted to to talk black. And that's that's one of the things that I learned as soon as I got to Morehouse is everybody has their, you know, kind of own way of being themselves and everybody's black. So that's that's one of the great advantages of going to an HBCU. Kind of like that blackish episode where Junior was uh, taking on a trip to Howard or uh, the HBCU, and he was like looking at it from a perspective of, oh, I saw a black Republican committee, and then I saw like the black Democratic committee, and then I saw all these different R2 black kids and these uh, jock black kids, and how he was able to see that 
it, it was a different perspective from his dad who had the 90s experience where it was kind of like oh it's fight the power or that revolutionary experience where you have another uh, another experience of black people within the 2000s late to, uh, 2010s what was your, what was your biggest when you got to Howard you know your first year what was your biggest adjustment was it a bigger adjustment just being away from home or was it just a big adjustment being around all the black folks bigger uh, out of those two Oh, well, well, now this is for for uh, <laughs> probably getting used to the, all the types of black folks and getting to know like the different level of sensitivities that different black people have. That was kind of new to me because <laughs> uh, I was like I had California sensitivity and there was New Jersey sensitivity, but the Southern people have a whole different way of living life from state to state. And I just was like, I offended so many people that first year without even knowing it. <laughs> I said, I think I said sorry more than I said hello back then. So how did you, um, I know we want to kind of get into how you got from point A to point Z. Uh, what about comedy, man? I mean, how did, how did you get, how did you decide that you wanted to be a stand-up comedian or a comedian in general? Is there a person who, you know, uh, got you? I mean, how, how did you decide that? I think I wanted to be one since I was about nine. And I realized, I think my parents talked about Eddie Murphy more in our house than they talked about Jesus. So I think like just somewhere in the back of my mind, I was like, all right, yeah, I got to go for that. And then I think I just started making plans since I was nine years old. And right after I, like I just, I was just waiting for school to end so I could just start doing stand up. And then my dad, who's a college professor at Cal State Fullerton, he was like, nah, you got to go to college. And I was like, all right, fine. So then I went to Howard. And then like the day after I left, I, I started just doing open mics in, uh, DC. Like my junior year at Howard, I started going to do open mics. And then I just kept going after that. What? Yeah, but, but you came there, but you didn't, you didn't come to Howard thinking, stand-up comedian no I, actually i did i came to howard thinking all right stand, most stand-up comedians don't know how to make movies so let me go be cut a film degree and then i'll get a minor in playwriting and that way i'll be ready to make movies as soon as i can like as soon as i graduate as soon as i get famous i can be able to make movies and then i found out that like you know movies is more than that <laughs> it's more than just making it there's like a whole there's a whole business side to it that I didn't know about. So, like, I stayed in D.C. for a while just making little independent short films and just learning the craft for myself. And then I got to New York and L.A. and I was like, oh, you got to, like, you can't just convince your friends to do it. You got to convince all these people with money to do it. And that's, like, a whole different, that's a whole different style. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's cool. It, it prepared me. How it prepared me and had me meet people that really... Like, for example, I remember, this is actually not a good story now, but Al Franken, who's a senator who just got lost his job, he was an SNL writer, and I remember we invited him for a speech to, like, the comedy writers, and I remember asked, I remember after the talk, he was sitting outside waiting to meet his car, but you get his, get his ride to the airport, and I remember sitting next to him as, like, a little freshman, like, yo, I'm gonna meet you one day at, like, a real party. And that was cool, because after I got my first sitcom, I was at an SNL party and we were sitting down talking. I was like, hey, man, remember 14 years ago, I said I was going to meet you again. It happened. It was just, you know, a little dumb stuff like that happened. Do so you I'm, remember? Absolutely not. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was just cool that I could actually walk up to a senator at the time and actually have something to say. So that was just cool that Howard allowed stuff like that. Um, Howard to me is interesting because they have a lot of weird, not weird, a lot of out of the blue, amazing speeches and sometimes they don't that was one problem when i was going there they didn't advertise them well enough like you just be walking around and you'd be like what happened over there oh yeah sonia sanchez just had an hour-long talk about poetry like what i missed that (laughs) or like uh you know ozzy davis is talking over here bill actually bill cosby came to our school once to talk about do y'all remember do y'all remember when he was doing the whole black people need to you know fix themselves tour yeah (laughs) right yeah uh yeah i was he came to howard for one of those (laughs) 
What do you think about that? I mean, what do you think about Cosby and you know the thing that he you know that he said at that time, but just also everything that's unfolded? Were you fooled or tricked or deceived or what? Well, for me, growing up as a dirty comic, I was he was always thrown in our faces like you got to be like him, you got to be like him. But here's the thing about comedy that not a lot of people talk about: clean comics consistently are the darkest people in the business. And people who are dirty, like people who are like actually tell dirty jokes on stage normally are the nicest people in the world and you want to hang out with them. But those people that are like, you know, very rigid and clean and safe for everybody, whoo, you never want to be in a dark room with them because they always got dark things going on. And that's just not, just not just Cosby. I'm telling you, every level. <laughs> I notice that every time. Like the cleanest comic will have this, the craziest coke addiction right off stage. You're like, what is going on with you, man? So, anyway. Mm. So uh, that's wow. that's what I thought when I saw that. Sinbad? Co- I don't know. I, I have not met Sinbad, so I'm not going to say nothing about Sinbad. Yeah, that really had me thinking right there. I'm thinking like I'm just, <laughs> of all the clean comics now. Yeah, I'm telling you. It's just it's just a thing I've noticed in my pattern of 15 years of doing stand-up. Maybe somebody will break that pattern, but I don't know. When somebody presents myself as perfect no. and clean, I get nervous. That's just how I live life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't drop a bomb on us like that. And not <laughs> tell us to drop a name. Now. Oh no! I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here on the edge of my seat. Like, who is he about to say? Oh no, I'm not. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely not dropping bombs on here. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> no, this is too small of a community to be dropping bombs like that. <laughs> well, all we gotta do is go through our role Well, who are the clean comics? So who would you guys? I'm just curious for the, for the millennials on on the uh, who who do you guys consider clean comics? Would you guys listen to comedy? I listen to the Instagram comedians if that if that constitutes is oh that's all you watch. Actually, I actually am curious about that. So all you do is watch Instagram comedians like like just the sketches and stuff. Okay. Yeah, for the most part, yeah, I, I love those sketches. Yeah, like I remember when Pat D Lucky came out. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had his skits, but right now it's Desi Banks. He's number and one. He actually has a tour going out with B. Simone. Is he number one now, Desi Banks? You think, or just hot? Yeah, Desi Banks, and then uh, B. Simone. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm old a, now. I actually don't know what's popping. going on. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with sketches. I'm like feeling old now. I'm like, okay, this is gonna be the new way of comedy. Thank you. You just taught me something. All right. <laughs> no, I. I agree, and and a lot of my friends they send me you know Instagram comedy, and if they think somebody's funny, they might you know might DM it to you or something like that. But I personally watch. I think you know I get a lot of my comedy from Wildin' Out, watching Wildin' Out, some of those comedians that are on there. A lot of Netflix stand up, you know, some HBO stand up. Okay, that's the kind of comedy that I watch. Okay, so you watch the specials. All right, so Tiffany, you don't like watching specials. I mean, like most of the people that are on Wild Now, they started on Instagram or Facebook. Like even yeah. Emmanuel, um, he started yeah. with that um, with the YouTube Facebook on YouTube video, YouTube video that got sent to Facebook and it went viral. So most of those people, I actually get most of the starters. Like I was watching B Simone before she went on Wild and Out, and a bunch of people that have transitioned over there. Like uh, even um, and like uh, DC Young Fly. Mm. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Oh. You're not on you're you're not on Instagram seating? Oh, I'm on Instagram. I just don't be tweeting like that, but I guess I gotta actually do it. <laughs> you got me like okay, actually I should start yeah, making it. Get these. your skits together. Get my skits together. You know what? I'm get a, your skits together. Uh, you're gonna go viral. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that's, so much. that's interesting. No, you inspired well, me. Well but you but you were you may not be on you may not be tweeting on Instagram, but you were on Conan. And uh in fact we wanna play a clip 
from your interview uh, with, with Conan, which uh, airs on TBS. Christian and Vengeance, how you doing, y'all? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, sit down properly and then politely. I like y'all, man. <laughs> Let me tell you something real quick. I, I, this is actually a dream of mine. I've been watching Conan O'Brien's show for, like, most of my life, and it's actually a real honor to be on this show, so thank you, sir. Like, this is dope, man. Thank you, man. This is cool. <laughs> thank you, man. I don't even want to ruin the vibe right now, man. So let's talk about something to bring us together. Police brutality. Now, crowd, listen. <laughs> don't get uncomfortable, man. Listen, my girlfriend called the cops the other day. Like, I didn't know she was that white. I was like, <laughs> Becky, what is wrong with you, right? I mean, <laughs> her name's not Becky. I'm just being racist. But what I'm trying to say is, it's crowd. It gets uncomfortable when we talk about cops with some white people, man. Right? Right? Because y'all get uncomfortable, very defensive. Like, hey, you need to support the cops. I'm like, I do support the cops, man. If anything, I'm just kind of creating a suggestion box, you know, like, please don't murder me. You know, something that. <laughs> Look at y'all, getting uncomfortable, huh? <laughs> it's okay. Hey, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. White people, let, let me just think. Like, we all have problems in this world. Is that right? Right or wrong? We all have problems. Like, yeah, 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 no. Let, let, yeah, yes, yes, crowd, yes. Cops are shooting people like me, but white people, ISIS is after you. So we all... <laughs> Have problems, what I'm trying to say, right? I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, ISIS is after us all, but it's really after you. And that is scary, right? I got sympathy, right? Like, if some white guy came up to me and was like, Seton, ISIS attacked, I'm not going to be an a jerk and be like, well, what did you do, Brad? I'm not going to say that. Like, Look, I didn't do anything. I'm like, whatever, all lives matter. I'm not going to say that, because that would be rude, is what I'm trying to say. Have you seen any police videos, man? The, seen any of them? It's hard to miss them, and they drop like mixtapes. I'm just curious. Have you seen any of them? <laughs> See, I don't know. It's hard for me to watch some of the police tapes, too, man. Like, I can't even watch, like, fictional black stuff without freaking out. Like, like 12 Years a Slave. You see 12 Years a Slave? Oh, every white person kept telling me, see, you see 12 Years a Slave. And I was like, no, you need to see 12 Years a Slave. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I got the gist, you know what I mean? Like, those movies, crowd, I don't know if you understand, those movies are, are, are black horror movies. Does that make sense? Like, they scare me just as much as Saw may scare you, sir. I mean, I just... <laughs> but the only difference between, like, Saw and 12 Years a Slave is that, is that Saw, they have a mask, you know? And, and 12 Years a Slave, they just, they just make you extra white, you know? And that's just, like... <laughs> I feel like white people, I swear, y'all got... Hollywood is not making y'all look great, like... Especially after this election, tell me if I'm crazy. I don't want to be offensive, but it wouldn't hurt for y'all to get together, like, have a little rebranding campaign. What y'all think? You know what I mean? Like, right? Right? Just nothing, nothing crazy. Just, just the commercials going out there. Hey, we're white, and we're all right. You know, just something that <laughs> cleans the palate is what I'm trying to say, man. You know what I can't even watch either is cop video, cop movies. Remember cop movies, man? Remember cop movies in the 80s? They used to have, used to have those, what, like, those dirty, hairy dudes, right? They walk in the room like, hey, I like to follow my own rules, right? And I got like, all excited, like, yeah! But now I'm like, uh, follow the rules. Like, I, uh... <laughs> I think those rules are written for a reason. I don't want to be a stickler. Uh... <laughs> I don't know, man. You know, those people that record those videos, I would say, are some of the bravest 
people on this planet. Because I can't even watch these things. But these dudes are pull, like pulling out a cell phone, recording, zooming in. Like, that's just profound to me, man. Like, but you know who the most bravest person I think in the world is? A dude who recorded the first police video. Y'all know the first police video? Huh? Rodney King. That's the first police video. You know how hard you got? I mean, crowd, listen, it's, it's brave to pull out a cell phone and start recording. But do you know how brave you got to be to pull out a VHS cam recorder? You know how hard? How brave you gotta be to be like, hold on, Rodney, hold on, hold on. Wait, I gotta get a blank tape. I gotta get a blank tape. Hold on. <laughs> Thank you very much, y'all. Have a good night. Just, how did you get that job? How did you get that gig? I'm getting Conan. What was the response? Yeah, it was Conan. Yeah. Oh, the Conan job. That was specific. There's a Booker um, named J.P. Buck and I'd known him for about two years, and he'd seen me perform in the in the circuit for a while, and then. He was like open to be like, you know, if you ever send me like a tape of something you're doing, then I'll edit it down. We'll talk, we'll work on the set together and then we'll put it on TV. And I, other, you know, late night TV sets kind of work that way. But, you know, JP is the coolest where he's like, I don't want to get in your way. Whatever you're doing, just do it. <laughs> Most network people, though, they're all like, you know, they want to change words on you and stuff, which kind of gets on your nerves because, you know, they just, they're just thinking about being clean. And I'm just thinking about like, you know, cultural rhythms and a bunch of things they're not thinking about. But. Anyways, yeah, Conan was just dope. That was uh, just the fact that I could talk about heavy, heavy. I could talk about police brutality for five minutes like that on a network like that was cool. <laughs> um, How did uh, well, just you know, having having wanted to be be a comedian since you were young. How did it feel, you know, having a, a big moment like that happening in your career? Uh, being on Conan. Uh, man, I'm at the point now where, like, I think I've achieved all my dreams that I kind of had already. So it's more or less like I'm just happy. I wish I thought this when I was 18 or even when I was 10, where I was like, life basically is what it is at all times. And you just should just learn to enjoy the now and then, you know, build to the future, but just enjoy the now. Like, I, for the longest time, I've always been like, as soon as I get out of the, this out of the way, then I can be happy. I'm like, now it's like, Psh, yeah, that's cool. I'll do that. That was fun. You know, <laughs> I'll just look back yeah. and go, oh, yeah, look at my, yeah. if I, at the end of my life, I'd look back and go, oh man, I did a bunch of things that were fun. It's a good life. So there was a moment when I did my first, like I said, when I did my first sitcom on Fox where like I was on the set and I've been shooting stuff like for years, like public access all the way to like a network TV. And at one moment I realized it all felt the same. It feels the same to be on the set. It's the same. It's just, you know, more people and more money, but it's still kind of the same action. So. Once I realized that, I was like, you know, let me, let me just be thankful for the fact that I can make money doing this. <laughs> I was going to ask, like, the comedic, I know the comedian in you, how did you feel about the Serena Williams situation? Oh, man. Uh, the comedian in me, I, well, first off, I don't really like to make things funny just for the sake of it. I just, like, I'm talking from the heart. But uh, that was amazing. Like, just, first off, I think what's underrated was how much she really controlled herself. Like, for some reason... They're not talking about the fact that she flipped out for the last 20 years. I've watched her since she had juju beats and she used to flip out, flip out. And this was the most controlled attack I've ever seen. And I think that's like should be commendable. Like she went from like she had a hood black girl side. And then now she has like a very distinct, like angry white woman voice that now she pulls out. And I just was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> she was like calling you thief, you thief. Thief, like what? That sounded like <laughs> sound like you were seeing a fight at Whole Foods or something. Like like a like a Whole Foods manager was getting cursed out. <laughs> you thief! I'm so sorry. I'll I'll get some gluten free quinoa. I apologize. You know, like it really. I loved I loved that fight. Like 
And also, too, I also love the idea that like, she's a warrior. Like, she's won 23 majors. Like, there's no, like, wh- why do they, why do we expect our champions to be dainty? Like, why would she, <laughs> you know, you, you got to have a fire in that, in her to, in order to achieve the things she's achieved. Like, you don't walk in the room and go, please, sir, give me a trophy. No, you go like, yo, give me that trophy before I, before I rip your throat out. Like, that's the <laughs> spirit they got, man. Uh-huh. Like, when champions go like, oh, I'm humble, I just want to thank God, they're lying to you. They're wolves. Disguise the sheep, and they only do that so you know kids will watch. Uh, <laughs> but Tom Brady will like dance in your blood if he could. Right, um, right. <laughs> you know, so right. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, like that's I can't hate Serena for being who she is. I love that. I love that woman. Do you do you think she got cheated? Um, I think that was just a break of the game. Honestly, I don't know if there's a conspiracy against her because I mean. Only because the conspiracy would have started 20 years ago. It wouldn't have started now. Like, it would have started at least 22 spe- 22 championships ago. <laughs> but not now. Now, now it was like, you know, <laughs> she got caught and cheated a little bit and she pulled every trick she could to win. <laughs> Basically, I mean, if there were $3 million on the line, I w- I'm going to do some screaming and yelling too to try to win. That's just how life works. <laughs> What, what 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 was the reaction to the uh, in the crowd when you when you uh, did the you know did the uh uh-huh. oh people love me <laughs> oh yeah they like me um the only thing now nah, man like Serena's not a, I talk about hard topics so when I talk about stuff like Serena or the NFL people go like oh thank God it's an easy topic to talk about because my most of my sets dealing with you know suicide death child abuse uh, white guilt white guilt a fun topic. Um, <laughs> yeah, sexual harassment. Yeah, I recommend everybody come see me. I'm, I'm, I'm amazing. <laughs> when's the next? When is the next? Uh, uh, when's your next performance? People will be listening to this. Uh, where? I'm gonna where, be where? in New York, uh, September 26th. I'm gonna be at the. Uh, uh, I bet the no September 27th. I apologize. I'm gonna be doing an hour long show at the Comedy Cellar, but um, actually next month. On uh, the channel Epics, I'm coming out with my first special. So, uh, yeah, so that's special. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, watch okay. that. Watch uh, It's going to be called, it's a series called Unprotected Sets, where it's just a bunch of comedians. They take them to the clubs and then like have them do like just, you know, what they would do, not in like a kind of a well-produced thing like, you know, Netflix where they have them on the theater, but it's like in our element where we're really just playing around, being ourselves. Like I really, I'm proud of what we're doing. So I really think y'all, if y'all get a chance, please check that out. Who are some of the great young uh, young uh, comedians? I mean, you're young, but you know, even younger. Uh, who are some of the young comedians? What we didn't ask you is who was your primary uh, role model as a comedian? But but who are some of the young comedians in your life that you like? Or do you do you listen to a lot of comedians? I listen to a lot of com- well, I don't listen on the radio anymore. Like I just I perform with so many of them that I kind of you know want to see it when I see it. I like to feel the energy. But I mean, comedians who I think I don't know who are getting enough acclaim like there's a guy Roy Wood Jr. which I'm sure he's famous now but I think his special last year was one of the best specials of the year um I think he's really smart I want black people to all know him um uh let's he's see. hilarious Roy Wood Jr. good I'm thank you I'm glad you said so he yeah. is he's he's been amazing for years like 20 years he's been always been dope um uh, who's cool is coming up let's see uh um wait hold on oh I guess what Leonard Oots is funny have y'all seen him yet he's on he's on wilding out yeah I haven't seen the comic since Dick Gregory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you see Dick Gregory the last year he was? Sir, Bill, did you see Dick Gregory the last year he was alive? At all? Uh, no. Uh, I got to see him perform uh, maybe two months before he died, 
And I oh, man, will not, really? I lie to you not, that was the best political writing I had seen all, like, as, as, like, the years. Like, I was amazed. Like, he was still, his mind was still really sharp up until his death. It was the mm. rest of his body fit. So I was like, I mean, yeah, I was, I was always been a fan of that man. He's, he's amazing. Uh, what about Richard Pryor? I mean, that, that's, uh, that, again, that's old school, but, you know, I, I don't know if he was a role model, but what'd you think of him? Oh, he was definitely a role model for me. I, I'm always trying to be like him. He taught me, uh, uh, he taught me like just the dream. Like I literally would read his autobiography and just dream. I don't know why I was reading his. I should have read somebody's who's a lot more healthier, but, uh, uh, <laughs> 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 he had so much dysfunction, but I love that man. Um, no, he definitely was my hero growing up. Like I've watched, I've listened to all his records and I almost find like him to be the artistic goal because he, He's one of the few comedians where if you listen to his first album, you listen to his last album, you see a whole man, like, growth. He's like a different person <laughs> who keeps constantly trying to find himself and and be more. And I don't know. It was a nice a metaphor for life. And it's just cool because, like, now it's like I've hit, now that I've reached this stage in life, like, I, I, I didn't keep journals very well. But now I can look at my set now and go, OK, I was a different person then. I'm a different person now. I'm more of me. Uh, no, nah, I, I mess. With, I mean, I mess with. Long story short, I mess with Shapiro on multiple levels. <laughs> I almost. Oh, let me say this. I almost landed the role in that movie with Glee Daniels. I play. I was playing Richard Pryor. Uh, uh, that was like in 2014. So no, I love. I could. I love that man. That's huge. Yeah, no, it was. It was a great script too, but the, the project fell apart. But I mean, obviously, what's his name? What I wasn't gonna get it anyway. It was uh, who was it? Uh, the dude from Friday was going to get it, but still, uh, that was cool to be in contention. It's cool to have the conversation sometimes, you know. Yeah. Did you see Dame Dash give Lee Daniels the money? Did you see the check? <laughs> I did not see the check. All I, for some reason, I just got the email from my agents going, "Here's a script. Here's the, here's what they're looking for. Go ahead and try it out." I'm like, that's that was what I did. <laughs> I ain't know. I don't know the business <laughs> like that. I wish I did. <laughs> They don't let me. They don't let actors into the business part unless you like a producer. That's another thing you find out. Like, oh, how how useless and replaceable actors are. That's something I ain't realized. Like, I was like, oh, nobody's special. Okay, just like athletes, same thing. You know, unless oh, you're unless God. you're you know LeBron James or Kobe. But you know, I guess it's kind of like every worker. We're all kind of expendable pieces. Well, you are. I almost think I don't know. Almost athletes are even more expendable than actors, just because you know. Like, well, if an athlete has like a three or four good year career as a professional, that's like a success in life, right? <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm act, I don't know. Actors get to walk for the rest of their lives, you know? <laughs> they get to, you know, not have concussions that they don't want to. Sometimes it's self-inflicted, obviously. But We, we started the show talking about how difficult uh, the journey has been and you know, on the line, you know, the, the Roden fellows are all, you know, juniors, seniors in college, and they've got different paths they want to travel. But the idea is, I guess there's some universality. How do you get to, from point A to point B in your career? And if you look back um, from your days at Howard to where you are now, it, has it been just endurance? Has it been who you know? Has it been what you know? What is sort of some of the some of the common strains about moving through your career to different goals and, 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 and dealing with, you know, ups and downs? Uh, the main thing I always kind of had to realize is that, like, this isn't magic. Like, everybody always talks about 
this field is like once you get your big break, big breaks don't really exist. Like especially if you try to like go to anybody's career and be like, where was their break? Usually their breaks are to the point in their life where they started working harder. Like everybody's career is just like when they started when this once they started working hard, that's when everything started going that way. Like Eddie Murphy's career was like because he worked hard. It was Kevin Hart's career is because he started working harder. Louis's career because he started working harder. So, but what does that mean when you say working harder? I mean, you know, because I'm sure you thought at some point you were working hard. I mean, you know, people think they're working hard, but what does that mean that you work even harder? Well, all right. Um, I guess I can't talk vaguely for everybody, but I'll talk specifically for me. Uh, for comedy purposes, when you do stand up, there's like multiple elements you gotta learn. You gotta learn how to write, you gotta learn how to perform, and then you gotta learn how to put those two things together and kind of deal with the crowd. And a lot of those time from that, there's a process, right? There's a very specific process of writing and, you know, like, then like reviewing your sets after you record it. And that's something that I didn't do a lot. I would just kind of do, go on stage, play around, but then I would just make an excuse like, oh, I don't want to listen to my tapes because, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't like hearing my voice. So I'm just going to go up there and feel it. And eventually you learn that like, this isn't a feel it craft. You have to know exactly what you're doing at all times and learn how to do it. And I think if I learned three years in, I could have been famous three years in or very successful three years in had I just known to like how to prepare like your shows um, thoroughly and then review your shows again and then and can t- treat your treat your art as an everyday process of getting better every day versus let me find a final product of let me find the thing that's going to blow people's minds. It don't really work that way. It's just like you got to grow as a person. That's the number, number two thing, like learning to grow as a person. Because Like if you don't think you're good at business, like pick up a business book. If you don't think you know you're good at dealing with people, pick up a book on dealing with people. <laughs> you know, like learn the elements of being uh, uh, useful and more valuable and how to like contribute to the world. Like, all these people that make sketches on Instagram, like they know they have a value to the world. They're making sketches to brighten people's day as they're going to work or going to school or just hanging out and killing time. Like that's a value to the world. So how, so all, and all those Instagram people are thinking to themselves, how can I become better? How can I be funnier? How can I get more out there? So like they're trying to constantly improve themselves and that kind of mentality creates success. So, um, I wish I understood that at 22. <laughs> you, you understand it now. I understand it now. I understand it now. And I'm just trying to figure out how to do it now. But, like, now it's like, well, how could I do it in a way where I, like, when you're in your 20s, you're willing to do everything and then burn yourself out. Now I'm at that age where, like, all right, I figured out a particular skill. How can I, what skill can I do that I could kill myself out and still enjoy my life, you know? Because I could kill myself with a bunch of things I hate, but, you know. I don't want to do that no more. <laughs> uh, I want to do something I love. Cause you know, when you do something you love, you, you get better at it and you really are help like contributing to the world. And I'm trying to find that, that thing to do it. And, and where do you want to go next? I really want to make a good show. Like I really want to make a daily show combined with the, with the, with the Chappelle show kind of thing. That's kind of my dream. There's a, there's a show I'm developing now with Vice that I'm hoping that we get to make and that'll be really cool. Well, listen, man, thank, thanks so much for joining us. And, um, you know, I know you're going to be at the Com- Comedy Central soon. Uh, you're going to be in New York. Uh, you know where our studio is. Uh, I hope you come by. Give us some free tickets, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. if, y'all, if y'all in New York, let me know. Come on through. All right. All right. Well, listen, All right. thanks so much, man. This, this was great. But thanks so much, and, and uh, best of luck on this journey. Um, from 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 Howard to the Comedy Club, 
from Conan and, Thank you, and whatever is next. Maybe the White House. That, that that's that's another. Yeah. That <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously don't need papers. You ain't got to figure. <laughs> I don't know. There's not, I don't know enough law to not get arrested playing the president. Obviously, <laughs> I'm like, man, this man get arrested for anything nowadays. I am. I don't know. Hey, listen, so, so see, thanks again. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss the WNBA finals and some of the lingering talk about not only just the finals, but about women's professional basketball in general. What's the future? What's it going to take for more people to watch? When we come back, we'll talk about that with some women's basketball players and coaches. So stay tuned. WNBA Finals are in the book. The Seattle Storm won its third league championship. The 2018 WNBA champions defeated the Washington Mystics in a three-game sweep. And ESPN2 boasted that the game had the most viewership on the network since 2010. But the numbers of players and coaches who are inspired to go to the league remains to be seen. Uh, before we dive into that issue, Tucker and Tiffany, what did you think of the game? Did any of your friends watch? Well, um, for me, I was kind of disappointed to begin with because I wanted to see uh, Diana Taurasi in the finals. But just seeing the game and seeing how the Mystics, they gave their heart, they gave their all. Like they were playing a lot of rookies and they just couldn't get, find a way to combat Stewart. And in that last game, it was just really bad altogether, especially in the paint because uh, they were able to score, like, and Natasha Howard, she had 29 points, and then Brittany Stewart had 30 points. So it was just a tough game to watch, that last one. So who did you guys want to win the matchup? Because I know, for me, being in D.C., I was like, okay, let me go for the Mystics. But back home, I'm like, let me go for the Sparks. And then, you know, I was already disappointed because I want to see my girl Diana win. I go, go the distance, at least. I, I, I wouldn't have mind seeing um, the Mystics play. I, I, I like Sheila Johnson, who's uh, the owner of the team. I like what she's about. Uh, I would have, I would have liked to see Washington win, but you know, I mean, you got to win. You got to win. You know. What, what about you, Tucker? You're down there in Atlanta, uh, and they've got a pretty good team. Did you have any preferences? Well, I know the Atlanta Dream were pretty hot this year, and they they had a good coach, and they had a really good team this year. But I'm I'm happy to see Seattle win because you know the Sonics they don't, they don't have an NBA team anymore, and it seems like um, this is you know their only major one of their only major professional sports teams besides the Mariners. So I, I think it's good that they brought a a championship back home to the city of Seattle. So does that constitute as a win for OKC too, or for Oklahoma? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they're going to try and take it. You hear Westbrook went down, so we'll see if he's able to come back healthy. Maybe, maybe your coach, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, what, what's your, you know, Tiffany, what, what's your sense of the WNBA? Um, just in terms of, I mean, we've been, you know, it's been chugging along. And do you sense that more and more people are watching it? Or do you still think that uh, more people are still watching college uh, women's basketball than the WNBA? 
Uh, definitely. I think that people are watching college women's basketball over the WNBA. And I think it comes back to, like, the pay gap. Um, and I know that it's getting better, but it's getting better compared to how much our athletes were ge- being paid to go play overseas. Because I remember that was, like, a thing. Um, I grew up watching Love and Basketball, right? So you actually want to go play overseas. Uh, I know that's based off of the film. But, like, just in more research, that athletes wanted to play overseas because they get paid something comparable to the NBA players over here as compared to the WNBA's low wages. But they were able to at least meet what they were being paid overseas so that they could be competitive in that way. And now they have to jump over that disconnect and that block of for so many years they weren't being taken seriously. You think they're being taken, the game is being taken more seriously now, Tucker? I mean, you're, you know, we could be, Honest here. I mean, you know, you've had the WNBA finals, and um, I, I don't know. Is everybody in your circle of friends talking about it and saying it's must watch TV? Um, not many of my friends that I know of were watching the WNBA finals. Um, I know a lot of my friends have, you know, really been into, you know, football season starting back up and college football season and, um, the WNBA isn't really, you know, something that they, they really watch. But from time to time, personally, I, um, you know, I might watch a quarter or two of a WNBA game if it's on, uh, because I, I just love the sport of basketball. Definitely. And then I think also, I was talking to Coach Grace after our interview that you guys will hear a little later, but I was talking to Coach Grace and we were talking about the fact that, you know, it just happens that there are some sports and or just some levels of the sport that don't get enough attention just based off the fact that people just don't necessarily care to to watch it like I know that I was telling her I was like when it comes to soccer I'll watch like the world cup and then like the olympics at least when I was younger now I watch a lot more soccer but early on you only watch those big tournaments of it I know for like basketball, women's basketball, people choose college over the WNBA a lot of times. But that's the same with like college baseball. People don't watch college baseball, but they'll watch Major League Baseball. Right, if they watch it all. But but I mean, if you look at, you know, we we didn't we talked a little bit about Serena Williams, but people watch women's tennis by the millions. Although you know, men's tennis exists right beside it, but that doesn't seem to be the case in basketball. You know where. That there is that gap, and why? Why is that? Well, I, I personally think you know it's it's because you know you you won't really see women high flying in the air, you know, jumping up for a block or you know dunking the ball, and I think that's what tends to maybe draw viewers maybe to watch men's basketball more than women's basketball. Not knocking women's basketball at all. Because there are some very skilled and talented and, you know, hardworking athletes that are playing in the WNBA and overseas. But I just think from a, a athletic standpoint, um, you know, in a, a entertainment standpoint, men's basketball will always be ahead simply based off of, you know, uh, you know, pure athletic, athleticism and athletic plays. Well, I don't, I think that the ladies are just as athletic as the guys. I think that the issue with the WNBA is kind of like the same issue with baseball after the buyout and how it gave it, it gave the NBA and the NFL a chance to jump a, not the buyout, I'm sorry, the strike. Um, it gave the, uh, the NBA and the NFL a chance to jump ahead of them in viewership because people had to 
find another sport where like the WNBA, they weren't as competitive when they first started out because people were going overseas to play basketball. Like, I think that's the biggest thing with them and they have to find a way to bridge that gap. And that comes from like media attention. Like people obviously want to watch them because it was, it was the most since 2010 that's that said earlier. So do you, do you think what you know, Gino, Gino or Riemma suggested, um, you know, lowering the rim. And, and some people say, well, you know, making the uniforms tight and that would attract more people. What, what do you guys think about that? I mean, I know it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> do people watch Arena League? I mean, speaking from, you know, from uh, a, a guy's perspective and knowing my friends and, you know, I, I go to an all male school. I think men would probably like that. If I mean, they would probably like it if they had tighter uniforms. They probably would, you know, be more attracted to it. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that's something that they should do in order to get more viewers. And lowering the rim, I think that would, would help because, like Tiffany was saying, you know, these women are athletic and in their own right. And Brittany Griner can dunk. I know uh, Maya Moore, she dunked in some, you know, Uncle Drew videos and, uh, Candace Parker's dunked and, and not even dunking, just making, you know, athletic plays, period. But I think if the, the rim was lowered, that possibly could, you know, cha- change some things. What do you think, Tiffany? We'll let you have the last word. Uh, what do you think? Man, I think that that idea of making the tighter uniforms is just insane because, like, there's lingerie football, right? And that doesn't get more viewers than regular football, you know? So it's just, it's just it's just ridiculous to for women in a in a time where we're trying to fight for more women's rights and we're trying to get female coaches to move on to the uh NBA uh do we degrade women on the WNBA level by saying oh they should wear tighter clothes cuz they watch it that's like saying like i heard the the comparison that volleyball gets viewers because they wear tighter clothes well no volleyball that's just it's actually like a fast paced sport and i think that's really what the thing is at least in America, we like we like fast moving sports that have like a, a like a, a factor where people are always feeling like they're engaged and energetic, energetic and a part of it. If yeah, I guess isn't that one of part of the problems that with sexism in general that you almost have to sexualize women's sports uh, for people to watch, yeah. whether it's whether it's women's tennis yeah, it, or it or the sprinting like or you know. I know more people, at least in high school, that watch the uh, NCAA women's tournament over the men's tournament a lot of years, especially when UConn was on. And then especially like when Stanford, at least in California, when Stanford was really making their run. Um, so in Skylar Diggins, like and she didn't wear t- she didn't w- change her her uniform. But Skylar Dig- Diggins was just a pretty woman. And so men watched it. So if that's what you want, then you can find it. You can still find it here today because Skylar Diggins is playing in the WNBA. So I don't think that I really don't think that you have to change your uniforms to do it. I just think it comes with time and trying to recreate the brand that is the WNBA. Uh, we're going to close it out, but Tiffany, you caught up with uh, Ty Grace, who's the head coach of women's basketball at Howard, uh, and you talked to her about coaching ambitions in the future of uh, HBCU sports. Um, Let's play the clip. All right, Coach Grace. Um, the future of Howard basketball, I know that a few years back, like we lost Gator and that was a big blow, but you had some young girls step up at the point guard position. Who can we look to for the future for Howard basketball? 
Um, yeah, losing a player of Gator's capacity is always, always huge. You know, me at player of the year, all everything, female, how female athlete of the year. So it was a, um, a big blow for us. But um, Ayana Williams um, did a 180 last year in terms of filling those filling that role for Gator and stepped up really um, big for us at the point guard position and then you had the likes of Sarah Edmond um, you know who is our leading scorer and Imani Bryant um, coming off an injury Jayla Miles I mean so that that sophomore class who are now juniors now has been an impact of you know turning the program around and trying to keep that trend of you know the winning and competitive spirit of how women's basketball in addition to some of the sophomores and freshmen that we have now so And how are you as far as targeting girls to come to HBCU sports? Because a lot of people, they just want to go to PWIs. Right. So, you know, that's that's obviously been... um, familiar and you know coaching at HBCU you people just aren't informed I mean we just try to get you know try to identify young women and try to get them to come to campus and see I mean until you see and you get to hear about and you do your research you know you can't make a a logical I guess decision about what what's important to you in your education and in athletics so um, I think we have so much to offer here at Howard and any HBCU but they have to be informed and you know coaches have to reach out and there has to be a mutual um, you know agreement that that you're going to just have an open mind about what's out there. And I think, you know, obviously HBCs are some of the best universities to go to. And, Coach, uh, we just moved up to number 89 in the best college rankings. What does that do for the recruiting process for you? Um, it's great. I mean, when you talk about PWIs, we are soaring past a lot of them. Um, and for as African-American women, and to be able to say that to black families, to, you know, young black women, recruiting them and letting them know that we can compete with the likes of Harvard, Yale, Cornell. I mean, it's huge in the recruiting process for us because we know our academics is top-notch in the country. And, and you can't argue that. You know, numbers don't lie. And as far as you trying to build the program, what is something that you would want to say to a potential high school athlete looking at Howard basketball? Um, you know, the main focus for, for us, um, obviously, besides winning, because that's the number one goal, um, you know, just being prepared to um, take on the rigorous of the academic component. You know, a lot of kids, they just kind of take you know their high school years lightly until it's too late they get to the senior year and then they're scrambling trying to get a 3.0 it's like you need to start that from the beginning when you hit that ninth grade year as a freshman that's when it all starts that clock that transcript is crucial it's important coaches are looking at it um and you have to continue that trend of being a good student athlete you know and obviously if, if that's what you, you want to pursue to go to the next level and play collegiate sports you are a student athlete and you have to you know adjust accordingly and staying on top of the academics is going to be number one and um because you can't do one without the other, obviously. All right. And then as far as fan engagement at the HBCU level um, or just within women's basketball, how would you say that is and how can that grow? Right. Um, I think it's really tough right now because I I think um, a lot of people equate, you know, having support to winning and yes winning does draw people people want to see people win and and things of that nature but I think um we have a good I guess product to put out there these young ladies work really hard every day you know 
just like the men do on Next Level and at PWIs at the Next Level. So um, everybody's putting that work in. So to feel appreciated and get the support of fans and people at your institution is crucial. Um, you know, you feel a sense of pride, just like you would if you go to the school of B and, you know, everybody's walking around in their suits and they feeling pride on Friday. That's the same way we feel when we put on our uniform. So when people come to engage with us and we put on the show and, you know, we're out there competing for it, representing the university, it's important to us. So we appreciate when fans come and, you know, and they get all come to a whiteout or they come to, you know, um, the Greek night and those different things. It's, it's important to us as a program and as the young women that, you know, are competing for the university. Would you ever consider coaching at the next level of the WNBA? Um, for me, all options are open. You know, I enjoy this level of, you know, a collegiate sports because you get to be so hands-on with the student-athlete. But, um, you know, that's something if that came across my desk or, you know, down the line, I'm open to all, you know, to coach on the highest level. You know, you get to be a part of some professional athletes, and it's probably an amazing experience. So I definitely would definitely take that into consideration. And what would you say about the the gap between men's basketball and women's basketball? at that level and then even here at the collegiate level? Um, you know, I, I feel that obviously there's a disparity in some areas, as we know, from salaries and, and those nature. You know, it's getting better. You see small steps like with Becky Hammond crossing over Nancy Lieber and Klein, you know, going over to the pros. So you, you see that it can be done, but it's just not enough right now. You know, we got to keep pushing forward to make sure that we are providing more opportunities for women to cross over in the NBA and see the, that the disparity of the salaries that these women are working just as hard as these young men to, you know, at their craft, you know, basketball is basketball to me. You know, they're all pushing forward to the same thing. So, you know, we got to start seeing the change, and I think people are understanding that. It's just more seeing it as a realization of it actually happening, you know, sooner than later. Because we've come far, but not far enough. So, Coach Grace, uh, the Mystics took a loss. I don't know if you're a Mystics fan because you're in in California. I'm from California. You're in D.C. Uh, But Seattle won. What did you think about the finals this year? Um, I am a WNBA fan, so I don't have a particular team because I am from New York. So I was like a Liberty fan when I was um, living there. But um, it was a very, very exciting finals. I know the Mystics didn't finish the way they did. um, But just to watch that level of play was unbelievable um I, I had the opportunity to work for ann donovan who was the first who won the first championship with seattle she was my boss at seton hall so to continue to see these these um teams grow and to just see them maturate into these great entities of women's basketball is just amazing and to see how these athletes are performing you got sue bird with a broken nose and you know del don's coming back with you know her knee is is messed up and she's like i'm not making excuses i wouldn't be out there it's just it's it, may, it makes you have a sense of pride for women's basketball and how we know we compete on a very, very high level, just like everybody else. So it was one of the best finals I watched, even though there was a sweep, but you know, the Mystics put their heart and soul out there and they played with some rookies and stuff, so you know, you know, somebody had to lose unfortunately, but I'm glad to see that level of basketball on TV and people being able to witness history each year with the finals. Thank you so much, Coach Grace. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's interesting, Tiffany. Um, I wasn't able to speak with the head coach from Clark Atlanta's uh, women's basketball team. But I was able to talk to two of their players. And basically from, from what they told me, they, they'd rather play overseas or play or work a, a, a normal job than, than playing in the WNBA, which, which is something that I've heard from other people as well. But um, hearing that from players who are, you know, still playing that actually just got done working out was – was something that kind of um, caught me off guard. 
Let's let's uh, listen to the clip. Um, my name is Brianna. Um, I'm a transfer junior. Transfer junior. Mm-hmm. What position? Combo guard. Combo guard. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Brianna Miller. I'm a junior here. Um, I'm a combo guard two one two. One two. Point guard Shandar. Okay. Um, did y'all watch the WNBA finals? And uh, if so, I mean, if not, why not? Um, I didn't watch a lot of it, but I mean, I might caught like a game, but I didn't like watch the full thing because the WNBA is like, it's not that exciting compared to like NBA. Like, it's just very fundamental. Like, everything is like all by the rules. So it's not really like fun. It's just like, it's very like robotic to me. So I didn't, I don't really like enjoy watching the WNBA. And I feel the same. I've always had favorite WNBA players, but I could never sit there and watch it. Like the girls that go from NCAA to WNBA, I don't even watch it anymore. I'd rather watch NCAA. Uh, it's just not as competitive to me as NCAA, NCAA looks. Okay. Would y'all want to go to the WNBA? No. No. I will. I do want to go overseas and play basketball. Um, but as why, far why not the WNBA? Um. First of all, they don't get paid enough. Like. I could get a regular job for the amount of money they get paid. Whereas if I go overseas, like everything will be paid for and I'll be getting paid. So, and it's like, it's better because it's like a different culture. You get to see different parts of the world. It's just, it's just, I feel like it's just a better experience than the WNBA. NBA. And I feel like the WNBA is just like, I don't know. I just don't feel like, I feel like it's overhyped. Like it's mm-hmm. really overhyped. So. Not even that. I just don't feel like if I don't if I don't watch it now, why would I want to go right. and expect somebody to watch me or come to my games? I've been to WNBA games where they don't even sell tickets, so it's like, why would I go and not go overseas? Because I know the people that make most money in WNBA have um, off season overseas jobs and they make the most of their money there, yeah. and it's like tripled or doubled. So I wouldn't want to do WNBA just for the publicity in the U- in the U.S. I'd rather be famous somewhere else. Okay. You know. Okay. Last question. Does Coach Moore ever talk to y'all about her professional days or when she was playing? Because I know she played overseas and in the WNBA. So does she ever talk to y'all about that? I guess I can answer it because I know she hasn't gone into detail about it this year because it just started. But I know last year she expressed to us how hard it was to come off of injuries because she was like she tore both she tore ligaments in both her knees mm-hmm. and then she had children. So that she was telling us like. It ain't easy to get where you got to go and you always got to work as a team. Or even if your role is not to be the star on a team, as WNBA, she wasn't always the person on the court. She was on the bench cheering her teammates on. So that's probably the only advice she would give to us. If you're not if you're not on the court, at least cheer for your teammates and be a family on the court at any time. Because you're always going to get the ring if you're part of the team. So. Okay. All right. Appreciate y'all. Appreciate Thank you. We'll definitely take a deeper dive on that subject in future podcasts, but right now, we got to go. If there's anything you'd like for us to cover, or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated hashtag Roden Fellows. You can also contact us directly. I'm on Twitter at WC Roden. That's W-C-R-H-O-D-E-N. I'm on Instagram at T-T-L Legend. I'm also on Instagram at Tuck T-52, T-U-C-K-T-5-2. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows podcast. That's all we have time for today. This show is produced by Aaron Mathewson. Special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby and Kyrie Williams.
Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as the plug, The Right Time with Bumani Jones, and The Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great weekend, everyone. 